Hi, I'm Michelle. Hi, Tara here. We have caught up with the very famous journalist Deepanjana Pal, who has written so much. She has written a biography of a painter, children's fiction, and now crime fiction. Her thriller is named Hushabai Baby. The book was so chilling. My favorite character was the protagonist Nandita Rai. She is this high society, uh, you know, South Bombay gynecologist, but she ends up murdering female fetuses. It was just so crazy. I we really wanted to know how the Panjana came up with this character. Yeah, I mean, some of the lines actually gave me goosebumps, Tara. You know, and one of my favorite characters is Hardpudey, the police officer who investigates the case. But because the Panjana has been a journalist for so many years, I wanted to find out her stories inspired from real life. Yeah, and she's also an avid reader. Like she read forty books in three months, Tara, for the Tata Lit Life jury, and I can hardly manage to read like four or five. On this episode, we found out, you know, how she makes a living from writing as a journalist and from her novels, her writing process, and a lot more. So tune in. Welcome to our podcast, Books and Beyond, and today we have with us the amazing Deepanjana Pal, who is a journalist and who has written this really thrilling book called Hushabai Baby, and she's also written children's fiction and uh, the biography of the painter Ravi Varma. So glad to have you here, Deepanjana. Thank Welcome. you. Welcome. Thank you. So Deepanjana, you know, it's really fascinating to us that um, you have written in so many different genres. Um, so how do you do it all? Um, you do it all because there's like a free world out there, and you can do whatever <laughs> you want to with words. I really think that I'm not the first one to say this, but you know, genres are things that booksellers come up with so that they can stack things more easily in bookshelves and shops, and that's very important because when you're going out to buy something, you usually know what you want to read. So you want to read a kiddie fiction, you want to read fantasy, and you go for that shelf. It would be incredibly confusing to be faced with a shelf that's like a writer's head because it's a mess. I love that. <laughs> yeah, but a writer's head, I think, is kind of like that. You know, like you find some idea that feels exciting to you, and you go with it. That said. My non-fiction book, which was the first one that I wrote, and it's a biography of uh, Ravi Varma, that was not something that I ever anticipated doing. I'm a journalist oh. by profession, along with being a writer by profession. But as a journalist, I am steeped in non-fiction all the time, and you know, the state of the nation is not always the most exciting, um, <laughs> or even heartwarming. Right. So my yeah. Inclination towards writing nonfiction was limited. Let's put it like that. Okay. But um, Chiki Sarkar was heading uh, Random House at that point. Yeah. And uh, basically, Chiki Sarkar called me up and she said, "I read an uh, article that you'd written about these lithographs of Raja Ravi Varma, and uh, would you like to write a biography of his?" Oh, by the way, I'm heading up Random House in India. And I was like, if you want me to write about my torn sock, I'll write that because my God, <laughs> Random House in India. You know, That's of amazing. course, I was yeah. hugely thrown by that. So I uh, hurtled headlong into something that I had no idea what I was doing initially, and uh, and ultimately, I mean, it's not something that I realized would be as big a project as it ended up to be. But so the nonfiction was something that really happened because I was asked to write it. I don't think I would in a hundred years have called up Chicky and said, by the way, would you think of me to write the biography of Ravi Varma? You know, because 
there's just no connect in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then so what about your book Hasha by Baby? That's totally a connect. Murderous people <laughs> um you know just general evil masked in somewhat glossy sweetness. Yeah, I think that's me. I think that reflects me. <laughs> so we saw in an interview that um, <laughs> that yeah. you know uh, you said that your friends and your peers didn't expect you after you you wrote the Ravi Varma book. to write uh, this sort of book yeah. so how did that So come I think up? that was also because I mean one of the things that I've done in my career is written book reviews and been a books editor back in the day when they had such a thing in mainstream media and that basically meant that I read a lot of literary fiction I love literary fiction let's not I mean it's not to put literary fiction down but it seemed like that was the only thing that I was reading I'm also Bengali so I'm kind of inclined towards being irritating <laughs> and poncy <laughs> It's in my DNA. I try to fight it, but it's very hard. And so I think everyone was expecting people who know me were kind of expecting a Bengali work, right. you know, <laughs> which would be suitably lyrical and have someone smoking and in a cafe in Paris and sort of look wistfully into the distance. And then suddenly there's a murderous gynecologist, and then I can't say what. <laughs> so I think that kind of threw people a little bit. Um, but I think uh, really good friends of mine also started seeing little. reflections of me in places that they didn't entirely expect but i think what they expected me to write was more literary than uh than hasha by baby which is not literary fiction right. by a long shot so i see crime thriller yeah, yeah it's uh i mean to call it popular fiction implies lots of people have bought it which well <laughs> um no i mean it's not done badly but uh but the point is that I think we do these hierarchies, right? And in the hierarchy, literary fiction is right up there. There's shining example, the Kohinoor of our literature, right. as it were, and then there's everyone else. Except, if you look at reading communities and writing industries, publishing industries around the world, if you don't have a good, solid base of good, well-written commercial fiction, you're not going to get great literary fiction either. because we are informed by what we read what we start off with reading nobody enters reading through literary fiction true that's a very yeah. true it's yeah. hard to because yeah. literary fiction is really demanding it's not been written to be easy and good for them you know i would hate for literary fiction to be absolutely accessible and just breeze through like a mills and boone right. no that's why we have the mills and boone yeah. that's why we have the crime fiction right. and then we have the literary fiction So for me it was sort of really important to me that this was not a book that was going to bore a reader mm-hmm. at any point and I didn't want to go into this point at which I'm going to try to be literary if it comes if there's a story that asks to be literary I will try to write it this on the other hand did not seem to want flourishes of style and <laughs> elegance in the yeah. slightest yeah but that's so cool that like you actually uh, spoke about the distinction between literary and crime fiction so actually when i began reading i also started with robin cook he writes medical sure. thrillers yeah yeah and i was like you know taken back when i was reading your book i was taken back to that time and i was like wow this is so refreshing from all the literary fiction my god fiction. that's such a huge compliment <laughs> no, because seriously, no yeah. because i think also i mean I don't know about you guys but for me my interest in reading started with my parents needing to occupy me for large stretches right Ooh, That's the modern day iPad 
Well, since there was no device. Right. Um, no, actually, yeah. that's not even true, I think. To a large extent, unless you were born in the Middle Ages, which none of us were, there was always a device that you could turn to, right? You could put a kid in front of the TV for the longest true. time, if it's not true. the radio. Um, and like I said, literally nobody you and I know was born before the radio. Maybe then they put them in front of a painting. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, point is there was always a device that you could distract a yeah. kid with. Or you could say, you know what? Struggle. Here are two pages with uh, scratchings on them. Make sense of it. Because you know what? It'll take time to make sense of it. And that's how I started reading. And it was all about enjoying yourself, right? There was a reward. As a kid, when there was like gibberish lines, which became a letter and then became a word, that was an incredible high. Like, I really feel I might have been a little more fit and gone to gyms if I didn't get as much of an endorphin rush from reading. <laughs> my yeah, reading is the source of my unfitness. About me when I was a kid, they were like, yeah. you're just spending all your time yeah, indoors yeah. reading books. Yeah. And, yeah. Even you know, my parents yeah. worried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think my parents only worried when it was like teenagers because they're like this, right? So at one point, my mother was like, I think she's going to be socially dysfunctional. <laughs> And my dad was like, well, she's also 15, so I think that boat has passed. <laughs> but uh, coming back to what you said about uh, literary fiction versus crime thrillers, I feel like, I mean, you can learn a lot from crime thrillers and even your book, the way it's put together. Yeah. And you can learn so much about the craft as well. I think you can learn from any book if it's written well. Right. Uh, a badly written piece of literary fiction will teach you exactly nothing. Exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, that, I think, is a minor detail that we tend to forget. I also think what we don't acknowledge enough is that even in commercial fiction, there's a lot of research that should go into a book, but the book should not wear that research, like flaunt it, you know. It is important for... So I have no respect for any author who says that I just wrote it down. Why? Yeah. Then put it up on a blog. Don't make me pay for it. You know, if you have not put effort into it, please don't expect me to put effort into it. So if you're writing something, even if you think you know that world extraordinarily well because you've lived in it or whatever it is, you need to do research. And if you're writing commercial fiction, that research should never ever be evident, yeah. right? I literally have three binders full of notes on how pregnancies develop, oh, wow. Wow. at what stage different symptoms can show up. I'm not even getting into my uh, files of legal research about into the act, the MTP act. I've done a ton of research. I'm not even, and then there's, you know, talking to people and things like that. But I don't, put that in the book. It I'd feels put, effortless. I'm glad because yeah. that was very much the idea. But the point is that I'm not just going through Google and saying uh, abortion causes India MTP Act. Oh, these two things came up. So let's now put that. It shouldn't be that lighthearted. Now, if you've written anything like that, whether you've written literary fiction, pulp fiction, anything, you won't pick up anything from it as a reader. It's coming back to, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And a reader can always tell right. that the author has put in considerable amount of work to produce this, even though it, it reads effortlessly. So ideally, yeah. so there, are, I think for a writer, there are two or at least three parts to a book in terms of the effort that you put in. The first part is 
actually coming up with the idea, which is not work per se, but certainly doesn't necessarily come easily. But once you have the idea, then there's the process of research. After the research, there's the process of writing. These are all very laborious work. Writing is literally manual labor for a lot of us. Like we use our hands to do it. Yeah. So like talking about this book, like uh, did you start out like wanting to write a thriller or you wanted to write about female feticide? And like, did you read any books to give you a direction as to how to write? There a are so few murderous gynecologists <laughs> that damn it all. <laughs> um, I wanted to write about feticide and the gender bias. And I'd got the idea for it many, many years ago when I had uh, met a woman who was heavily pregnant mm-hmm. and... Um, And I'd asked her if uh, she knows whether she's having a boy or a girl. Uh, And it was a very innocent question at that point of time. It hadn't even struck me because I, wrapped in my little privileged cocoon, didn't think of feticide as the reason to know boy or girl. And she said, uh, if it's a girl, then I would have dropped it by now. Oh, wow. And I was was a little taken aback. Um, I... She just said that. Yeah, outright. like it wasn't. It wasn't even like a big deal. She was like, obviously, and I was like, I'm sorry. It's crazy, <laughs> lady. I feel like I need to talk to you right now. You know, allow me to explain how amazing girls are. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Like she, I think. I mean, this is so many years ago, but I feel like it was an uncle, please sit moment with me being the uncle because she was like, you have no idea what I go through. I am not bringing a daughter into a world where she has to go through what I did. Oh, my God. I just got goosebumps. And I was just like, it hit me because all of my sort of, you know, liberal high horse went. Because I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. There's nothing I can tell her to say that. But look, this will make your daughter's life different. Because at a systemic level, we've not done enough across society levels, right? Like, And so that's where it actually started from. I wanted to look at the idea that when we think we're doing amazing things for women, it's not enough. And there are many more motivations to female feticide than the obvious one, and they are all rooted, though, in the same patriarchy. Uh, But I wanted to say all of this without using words like patriarchy and liminal spaces and, you know, all the polysyllables that I know are the right words, but they sound so off-putting because of all the baggage that we as a society put on it, right? Exactly. Like, oh my God, a feminist novel just stabbed (laughs) me in the eyes. And you know what I also loved about the book was that we find out who. I mean, it was very different for me uh, because I read whodunits usually, and this was something that I never actually come across because right in the beginning we come to know, yeah. you know, there's that, no suspense. Yeah, there's, but then it's so it engrosses you throughout. So how did you come about um, this structure and why this? That format? was I have to admit that was primarily because I was convinced I'd never be able to hold the tension of trying to figure out who's done it. So I was like, you know what? Just attack is the best form of defense. Here, this is who done it. Page 30, take it. (laughs) That's interesting. But but also, I mean, surely what is more important is why, right? Right. Um, That's what keeps you hooked throughout the book. I want a female gynecologist 
do acts like this. Yeah, why would a woman who is known for being progressive, known for supporting other causes that are for women's empowerment, why would that person kill fetuses of baby girls? I mean, not baby girls at that point, but women, female fetuses. Yeah, and talking about female uh, doing it, so we were just discussing like of the thrillers we read recently, like, you know, Gone Girl and My Sister the Serial Killer and all of these, how they show women as, you know, murderers or like in that light. So did you actually want to show like a female who is, you know, doing something evil or... Um, was it a conscious decision? I think the whole movement towards creating negative female characters is also to uh, say that it's not like... So this is one of the things that is often leveled at feminism, right? All women have to be good, supposedly. That's, what... That's not it. I mean, we all know there are bad, evil women. Yeah. We are some of them. <laughs> it's, but the point yeah. is that there's a range of experience from which you are saying women are not allowed to uh, portray in right. patriarchy, right? So the whole idea of saying that women can do horrible things is tied to the idea that while they do horrible things, you are rooting for them the whole way. Gone Girl, for example, yeah. it takes a lot of time for you to be like, I'm sorry, madam, what exactly are you doing? Yeah. Are you insane? Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, my sister, the serial killer, again, her sis neither of the sisters are giving the other up. Right. Yeah. You know, um, there's an acceptance. That and you're on the sister's side who wants to completely save yeah. her yeah. crazy that serial killer sister. Yeah. yeah. And it makes complete sense to you that this woman would be sticking up for her sister, that uh, her sister would do the things that she does as well. I mean, all of it adds up. Uh, the idea is just to give that sense of range in writing. Can you tell us about that moment when you knew you wanted to be a writer? I don't actually know the moment because I think I was about three years old. Wow. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I've never wanted to be anything else. Wow. Um, I also... I mean, in this sense, it's probably convenient. There's literally nothing else I can do either. <laughs> I feel the same way about reading same and here. writing and editing. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> there's nothing else I can do. Okay. Like, I can't count. Numbers just completely paralyze me. Uh, I barely passed mathematics in class 10. Same here. Oh, I'm very to bad the at the point math. where when I, I manage with tuitions. <laughs> So uh, my poor maths teacher, I think I've traumatized her for life. But when I went to pick up my certificates, the guy who was giving me the certificate, he looked at the uh, almost fail in maths. And he was like, I hope you're not studying anything other than the humanities. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. In a way, it's a nice problem to have because uh, I mean, then you know, know what, what you want, want to do. Exactly. Yeah, there are no options. Right. So that's convenient. That said, fiction writing or writing in general is not a career. Uh, fiction writing in particular is not a career. You should not think that you're going to make a living from it. Um, you will make a living from it if you're lucky about, I don't know, 10 years into doing something like this. And if you've only produced things regularly. Right. Um, but it is an incredibly satisfying work, should you be so inclined. So I think for me, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I also knew from very early on that this was not going to be my profession because I don't have the luxury of being able to say that I don't need to make a salary. Of course. Yeah. Um, so 
in that sense, I had no option but to turn to journalism and be like, please, someone give me a job. <laughs> because where else? Will, because the other option was copywriting. And I'm no good with turns of phrases. So I was like, okay, that's not going to work. So again, journalism, please, someone give me a job. And fortunately, people gave me jobs. Um, so I've been able to make writing a career, but very different kinds of writing. So there's all the journalism that I've done, which is cultural reportage and commentary and critiquing back in the day when that was still a thing. And then, of course, there are these books, but the books I do truly for the joy of it. So it took me decades of just working at it to find the confidence and the opportunity to be able to write a fiction book. I would have loved to have been able to write this or get the opportunity to write fiction when I was 20 or 25 or 27. Um, I didn't. And neither did I have the skills, frankly. Like, it probably happened at the right time, you know. By the time I did sit down to write Hasha by Baby, I had read enough to be able to tell what is good structure. You've never read enough, but, you know, I'd got somewhere with it. Uh, so in that sense, it probably came at the right time, but it's not a career. It's right. a vocation. Yeah, and we loved how in the book you mentioned that uh, your parents had rejoiced when you were born, like, you know, and everyone was confused. So, like, were your parents very supportive about your writing career and, like, other readers, writers in your family? My dad's a writer, uh, oh, but wow. my dad became a writer after he uh, retired because, you know, it's not a profession. My dad writes in Bengali. My mother uh, used to work in the radio, so she would oh, write wow. scripts. Nice. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So there is writing in the family. We have slightly august, um, you know, slightly more august uh, people in the family as well. Like my dad's <laughs> uncle ef effectively is, oh dear God. Okay, my dad's <laughs> uncle is uh, Sarachandra Chattopadhyay who wrote Parinita and oh, Devdas. okay, yeah. Wow. That's no, no, really, that's really not cool. wow. I mean, they are awful. <laughs> they are melodramatic, weepy. Oh my God, I wish he hadn't written them. Anyway. Um, I, for that, I will get murdered by my community. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so we have people like that. An aunt of mine passed away recently. Her name is Nabunita Devshen. So there's a lot of writers and not necessarily published writers. My family is filled with people who love telling stories. So I don't think it's surprising that I turned to storytelling. Um, I just think that I was lucky to be somebody who could say that, hey, I have a book to show for it. Not everyone had that opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, coming back to journalism, uh, how did you uh, get into, you know, cultural reportage? Again, nothing else I can do. No, <laughs> uh, no, that was actually a very conscious decision. Um, I don't uh, I don't have any respect for people who do this hierarchy where politics is right up on top and social affairs is right up on top. And then culture is like this little lowly filler kind of thing, which is how a lot of journalism is structured in India. Culture is extremely important. It's reflective of society. It tells society what it's doing and also sets People up dreams. People love to read stories about exactly. this. And is it difficult to get into this sort of field as a journalist? It's difficult, I think, particularly today because there aren't enough places that do culture exactly. in mainstream media, right? I mean, also culture has Who do you just write for? A, who do you write for? But also, what do you write, right? Like, so much of cultural journalism is limited to commercial cinema. And it's not that commercial cinema is not important. It is important. But it surely is not the only thing. You know, there are other components. Books, music, theatre, art. 
there is a lot going out there. And especially when you like one little, you know, dip into the rabbit hole of Instagram and you'll find so much incredible visual art put up. Oh, yeah. That is all part of our culture. And to not be aware of it is criminal. To not platform it is even worse. Mm. Um, unfortunately, very few people do. And that's I think that's a massive, massive obstacle for us as a society. Uh, because w- the other thing that is that you will only get from culture, not from anything else, is independent thought. And quite obviously, that's something we don't respect in this country right now. Read, write, analyze. That's basically what we do. Yeah, so talking about the difficulty of uh, being a journalist, so we were wondering, like, how was the research for this book, Hasha by Baby? Like, you know, because it's a police procedural. Was it really difficult as a female? Uh, no, not really. The beautiful part about being a woman in patriarchy is how everyone wants to teach you, right? Oh. So if you want to learn, that's <laughs> <Man's> great. <blaming. laughs> and yeah. also uh, cops, by and large, in Bombay, in Bombay, in Mumbai, um, <laughs> Not, I would not recommend this in, I don't know, Delhi. But in Mumbai, they want to talk to you. You know, like no one pays attention to them. (laughs) Truly nobody does. Like someone will ask them to take a bribe. That's the maximum conversation that you have. So if you do actually sit down to chat with them, they're very forthcoming. At least I found that. But to be fair, it's not like I went up and down across different, uh, you know, thanas and spoke to people, you know, across the hierarchy. I didn't. Okay. Uh, but there were certain thanas that, you know, I knew people there because they were my neighborhood thana uh, or I had to go there for some work. Like I remember I, I had to go because I had lost uh, my driving license and uh, the constable who was basically you know, trying to help me put the complaint together. He's someone I tapped for a lot of information, no. you know, and he was happy to give it because, uh, like I said, no one talks to them. That's that's quite surprising, actually, that it yeah, was so actually, easily. Yeah, it's deal. not. Yeah. But it's also keep in mind that I didn't go there as a reporter. Right. Uh, okay. I didn't go there saying that. That's tell me true. your story so that I can do an article on right. it. If you do that, I think it's a very, you, very difficult task. Yeah. You will face a lot of resistance. Um It's not that it's impossible to do, obviously, but that is very hard. But if you're just going there to have an empathetic human conversation, they're more than happy to chat. So how long did the whole process take you from, you know, um, the ideation of it to the research to then writing it and getting published? So um, I started writing it after I had pitched it to uh, Siva, who was in uh, Jagannath at that point of time, and she was my editor in Jagannath. Um, Siva said she liked the idea, so that's when I actually started writing it. And I started some of the research then, but I had some of the research in the past. The starting incident of the woman who had wanted to, who had said that she would abort her child if uh, her child was a girl, was decades ago, like literally oh. f- almost wow. 15 years ago. So it's it's been in my mind for a while, but I haven't been able to. I hadn't been able to find the right way of articulating it. This was good. Amazing. Yeah, we all have ideas that are just right. They just sit in your mind, and then they'll come out at the right time. I've realized. Um, The actual writing of it, I don't think, took me that long. I think ultimately it was about nine months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so poetic. Yeah, I think ultimately it took about nine, ten months. It oh. was not a premature baby. So, the Panjana, we are having a rapid fire session right now. So, no thinking at all. Uh, if not writing, what would it be? 
photography. Favorite writing place? Uh, my home. What would you pick? Uh, crime fiction, children's fiction or arts and culture? Oh my God. Just cut me up into small pieces. <laughs> uh, ah, arts and culture. A book you find underrated and a book you find overrated? Harry Potter. All of them are overrated. <gasps> oh, You've just broken my I, heart. <laughs> my best friend is just going to come at me with an ice pick for having said this. Oh, but I love the books. No, no, they are very good books. I just don't think they're as good as they're made out to be, especially towards the end. Um, <laughs> there's blood on the studio floor. Listener. You should know. Um, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't think they're that great. But I, I like them. I just don't think they're that great. Uh, that was the overrated. Underrated. My God, so many. Um... Off the top of my head, I guess, uh, I don't know, like, literally anything that comes out these days, I feel like is underrated because there are like five authors that we will read, you know. That's true. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's Arundhati Roy, you will read immediately, as you should. But then there are all of these other people right. that you should try reading as well. Um, there was a book that came out recently called The Black Dwarves of Good Little Bay mm. oh, by yes. Varun. Yeah. Uh, yes. I thought that was great fun. Um, and I don't think it was a flawless novel. I think it needed a little bit of patching up, but I thought it was really beautifully imagined, uh, very chilling and so, so uh, necessary in terms of the kind of fiction we should have right now because it sort of relates to the world around us and yet imagines very richly. And your favorite uh, thriller book? My favorite thriller uh, that's actually harder because that shifts with whatever it is I'm reading at that point of time. Like right now I'm reading Death in the East by Abir Mukherjee um, and uh, I'm enjoying it so much. So I think right now that would be it. But uh, but yeah, like I guess the honestly, the most inspiring thriller is our everyday life. Just getting out of the <laughs> you know door in the morning <laughs> and making it back. <laughs> In the evening, I after all the stuff that happens in between <laughs> that you do not anticipate coming at you. That's funny. The thriller of our lives. Yeah. So, yeah, so Deepanj, now what is next for you and what, what, what is your next project? Well, uh, next for me is going into work from here. But <laughs> um, I, I, ha I have, I think, the sequel to this one oh, starting. Wow. So, wow. yeah, hopefully that next year. That's amazing. Oh, we are looking forward. <laughs> I'm glad. So yeah. more crime. Definitely more crime. There's a second uh, children's fiction book which should come out sometime next year oh. because I'm done with the writing. Uh, so now it's all up to Rajiv Ipe to do his magic with the illustrations, which he will do. He's amazing. Uh, so that will come out sometime next year and hopefully I'll finish writing this book next year so that hopefully it comes out the year after. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so what's your favorite story that you've done so far as a journalist? Um, there's quite a few that I'm quite proud of, but I think the proudest that I am is one of the stories that I struggled with the most, which was done, oh my God, I think almost 15 years ago now. Yeah, it's really been high points in my life. I can only go back decades to talk <laughs> about anything. Anyway, um, it was basically about what I call them shadow artists. They are artists who essentially do the work and then a famous artist's name is put oh, on wow. the wall. It's like, like ghost a ghostwriter. <laughs> like ghostwriters. <laughs> they but were shadow like, artists. I didn't know that. Yeah. So oh. I'd done a story on these young artists, most of them young, who basically do the work for others. And uh, and it was extremely hard because obviously nobody wants to talk and 
uh, there are big names that are being drawn into this and it was all a and could they disclose who the artist was they to were? me sure but they didn't want me printing oh, it oh. Um, so that but was that's so sad if you think of it right the problem with all of these creative pursuits is that we kind of expect them to make money right and they don't so it's this incredibly horrible choice that you have to make as a young creative person to either commercialize your talent in a way that strips your soul to pieces or do it on the side which is one right. of the phrases that yeah. i hate so much <laughs> yeah like a side plate you know like some mushrooms <laughs> like a hobby yeah like and yeah. it's not so thank you so much for sharing that story with us like i honestly did not know about uh, shadow artists so that's something to learn about and thank you so much for being here today we really really enjoyed thank the you so much for having me this was great fun I loved Deepanjana's sense of humor and I could totally relate with her when she said her only skills were reading and writing because those are my only skills. I wish I was good at more things. Same here, Tara. And talking about sense of humor, our next guest, Suhit Kelkar, is a huge stand-up comedian enthusiast. So we'll be finding out more about him, his process, how he manages writing poetry, journalism and much more. So watch out for our next episode and please do reach out to us with your feedback. We are waiting to hear from you. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Bound India. <laughs>